BestBookBits.com presents The Speed of Trust, The One Thing That Changes Everything by Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey shows how trust and the speed at which it is established with clients, employees, and all stakeholders is the single most critical component of a successful leader and organization. With over 2 million copies sold, this instant classic shows how establishing trust is the one thing that changes everything in both business and life. Why trust? The simple, often overlooked fact is this. Work gets done with and through people. There's nothing more impactful on people, their work, and their performance than trust. For business and organizational leaders in any arena, the speed of trust offers an unprecedented and eminently practical look at exactly how trust functions in every transaction and relationships. From the most personal to the broadest, most indirect transaction, it specifically demonstrates how to establish trust intentionally so that you and your organization can forego the time-killing bureaucratic check and balance processes so often delayed in lieu of actual trust. The written and audio summary can be found on our website, bestbookbits.com. So without further ado, I bring the book summary of The Speed of Trust forward. For every thousand people hacking at the leaves of evil, there is one striking at the roots. Trust is the ultimate root and the source of our influence. The key factor in a global economy Low trust causes friction, whether it is caused by unethical behavior or by ethical but incompetent behavior, because even good intentions can never take the place of bad judgment. Low trust is the greatest cost in life and in organizations, including families. Low trust creates hidden agendas, politics, interpersonal conflict, interdepartmental rivalries, win-lose thinking, and defensive and protective communication, all of which reduce the speed of trust. Low trust slows everything, every decision, every communication, and every relationship. Trust is like the aquifer, the huge pool of water under the earth that feeds all the subsurface wells. The one thing that changes everything, how trust affects the trajectory and outcome of our lives, both personally and professionally, and what we can do to change it. Nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. Trust issues affects everyone. Getting a handle on trust. Simply put, trust means confidence. The opposite of trust, distrust, is suspicion. In a high trust relationship, you can say the wrong thing and the people will still get your meaning. In a low trust relationship, you can be very measured, even precise, and they'll still misinterpret you. The crucible, a crisis of trust. Low trust is the very definition of a bad relationship. If we can't trust ourselves, we'll have a hard time trusting others. This personal incongruence is often the source of our suspicions of others. One of the fastest ways to restore trust is to make and keep commitments, even very small commitments, to ourselves and to others. The economics of trust. Trust always affects two outcomes, speed and cost. Low trust equals low speed and high cost. High trust equals high speed and low cost. It's that simple, that real, that predictable. Do you trust your boss? These companies have learned that the answer to this one question is more predictive of team and organizational performance than any other question they might ask. The trust tax. Widespread distrust in a society imposes a kind of tax on all forms of economic activity, a tax that high trust societies do not have to pay. I contend that this low trust tax is not only on economic activities, but on all activities. In every relationship, in every interaction, in every communication, in every decision, in every dimension of life. The trust dividend. I also suggest that just as the tax created by low trust is real, measurable, and extremely high, 
So the dividends of high trust are also real, quantifiable, and incredibly high. The hidden variable. Above all, success in business requires two things, a winning competitive strategy and superb organizational execution. Distrust is the enemy of both. The ability to establish, grow, extend, and restore trust with all stakeholders, customers, business partners, investors, and co-workers is the key leadership competency of the new global economy. Trust myths. Myth. Trust is soft. Reality. Trust is hard, real, and quantifiable. It measurably affects both speed and cost. Myth. Trust is slow. Reality. Nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. Myth. Trust is built solely on integrity. Reality. Trust is the function of both character, which includes integrity and competence. Myth. You either have trust or you don't. Reality. Trust can be both created and destroyed. Myth. Once lost, trust cannot be restored. Reality. Though difficult, in most cases, lost trust can be restored. Myth. You can't teach trust. Reality. Trust can be effectively taught and learned, and it can become a leverageable strategic advantage. Myth. Trusting people is too risky. Reality. Not trusting people is a great risk. Myth. Trust is established one person at a time. Reality, establishing trust with the one establishes trust with the many. You can do something about this. How trust works. Trust is one of the most powerful forms of motivation and inspiration. People want to be trusted. They respond to trust. They thrive on trust. Trust is a function of two things, character and competence. Character includes your integrity, your motive, your intent with people. Competence includes your capabilities, your skills, your results, your track record. The five waves of trust. If you think the problem is out there, that very thought is the problem. The first wave, self-trust. Credibility, which comes from the Latin root creed, meaning to believe. The second wave, relationship trust. Trust accounts. The key principle underlying this wave is consistent behavior. The third wave, organizational trust. The key principle underlying this wave Alignment helps leaders create structures, systems, and symbols of organizational trust that decrease or eliminate seven of the most insidious and costly organizational trust taxes and create seven huge organizational trust dividends. The fourth wave, market trust. The underlying principle behind this wave is reputation. The fifth wave, societal trust. The principle underlying this wave is contribution. Even trust at the societal level, the fifth wave, can specifically be traced back to issues at the individual level, the first wave, and that individual trust issues actually become geometrically multiplied as we move outward through the waves. The final section deals with inspiring trust. This includes learning how to extend smart trust, how to avoid gullibility, blind trust, trust on the other, and how to find that sweet spot where extending trust creates big dividends for everyone. Restoring trust. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Chinese proverb. See, speak, behave. Much has been said about the importance of changing paradigms in changing behavior. In other words, changing the way what you do and the results you get. And I agree that a new way of seeing a paradigm shift has an enormous impact on doing and on results. However, from a pragmatic standpoint, I'm equally convinced that speaking and behaving differently can also have an enormous impact on the way you see and get the results you get. Making it happen. You are a leader, even if only of yourself. 
Leadership is getting results in a way that inspires trust. To get things done in ways that destroy trust is not only short-sighted and counterproductive, it is ultimately unsustainable. The first wave, self-trust. The principle of credibility. Beyond ethics, why personal credibility is the foundation of all trust and how to create it. The four cause of credibility. Whatever decision I made when I set the alarm, I wanted my commitment to be clear and to act with integrity. Otherwise, I would continue to lose trust in my ability to do what I had made a personal commitment to do. Research shows that many of us don't follow through on the goals we set or don't keep the promises and commitments we make to ourselves. A person's self-confidence affects his or her performance. Building self-confidence in others is a huge part of leadership. A man who doesn't trust himself can never really trust anyone else. Self-trust is the first secret of success, the essence of heroism. Most of the time, it's not the huge visible withdrawals like Enron and WorldCom ethics violations that wipe out the organization's trust. It's the little things, a day at a time, a weak or dishonest act at a time that gradually weaken and corrode credibility. The four cores. Core one, integrity. While integrity includes honesty, it's much more. It's much more. It's integratedness. It's walking your talk. It's being congruent inside and out. If you're having the courage to act in accordance with your values and beliefs. Core number two, intent. This has to do with our motives, our agendas, and our resulting behavior. Trust grows when our motives are straightforward and based on mutual benefit. In other words, when we genuinely care not only for ourselves, but also for the people we interact with, lead, or serve. Core number three, capabilities. These are the abilities we have that inspire confidence, our talents, attitudes, skills, knowledge, and style. Core number four, results. This refers to our track record, our performance, our getting the right things done. Core one, integrity. Are you congruent? The rhotic choice, demonstrating integrity even when it is costly. The problem with the renaissance of ethics. The problem in organizations, however, is that many ethics solutions focus on compliance. The compliance definition of ethics is not one of integrity or integratedness. It is a watered down, devalued definition that essentially means follow the rules. Defining integrity. It's possible to tell the truth but leave the wrong impression, and that's not being honest. Congruence. A person has integrity when there is no gap between intent and behavior, when he or she is whole, seamless, and the same, inside and out. People who are congruent act in harmony with their deepest values and beliefs. They walk their talk. When they feel they ought to do something, they do it. They're not driven by extrinsic forces, including the opinions of others or the expediency of the moment. The voice they listen and respond to is the quiet voice of conscience. Humility. A humble person is more concerned about what is right than about being right, about acting on good ideas than having the ideas, about embracing new truth than defending outdated position, about building the team than exalting self, about recognizing contribution than being recognized for making it. How to increase your integrity. Number one, make and keep commitments to yourself. There's no way you will be able to do that effectively if you haven't first learned to make and keep commitments yourself. Every time we make and keep a commitment to ourselves, large or small, we increase our self-confidence. We build our reserves. We enlarge our capacity to make and keep greater commitments both to ourselves and to others. 
First, don't make too many commitments. Second, treat a commitment you make to yourself with as much respect as you do the commitments you make to others. Third, don't make commitments impulsively. Finally, understand that keeping your commitment becomes hard. You have two choices. You can change your behavior to match your commitment, or you can lower your values to match your behavior. You can change your behavior to match your commitment, or you can lower your values to match your behavior. One choice will strengthen your integrity. The other will diminish it and erode your confidence in your ability to make and keep commitments in the future. Number two, stand for something. An excellent way to identify the values you want to stand for is to go through some kind of purpose or values classification process. I've found nothing more valuable than the creation of a mission statement or credo, whether it be personal, family, or organizational. Creating an expression of what you stand for and living by it will pay great dividends in helping you become credible and trusted. Number three, be open. You've probably been around people you consider close-minded or arrogant. People who don't really listen to you because they think there's nothing you could say that they don't already know. People who refuse to consider new ways of looking at things because they are convinced that theirs is the only accurate way of thinking. People who will stare truth in the face and reject it because they're not willing to accept the possibility that there is some reality, some principle out there they weren't even aware of. How does that ego-invested attitude affect your ability to relate to these people? How does it affect your perception of their credibility? How does it affect your willingness to extend trust? Openness is vital to integrity. Do I believe that the way I see the world is totally accurate and complete, or am I honestly willing to listen to and consider new viewpoints and ideas? Do I seriously consider differing points of view from a boss, direct report, team member, spouse, or child? And am I willing to be influenced by them? Do I believe there may be principles that I have not yet discovered? Am I determined to live in harmony with others, even if it means developing new thinking patterns and habits? Do I value and am I involved in continual learning? To the degree to which you remain open to new ideas, possibilities, and growth, you create a trust dividend. To the degree you do not, you create a trust tax that impacts both your current and future performance. Core number two, intent. What's your agenda? In law, a man is guilty when he violates the rights of another. In ethics, he is guilty if he only thinks of doing so. The importance of intent. The impact of intent on trust. What is intent? Motive, agenda, and behavior. Motive. The motive that inspires the greatest trust is genuine caring. Caring about people, caring about purposes, caring about the quality of what you do, caring about society as a whole. There are a few trust taxes that are higher than those attached to duplicity, practically regarding motive. Agenda. It's what you intend to do or promote because of your motive. Two things, I mean you no harm and I seek your greatest good. Behavior. It's easy to say I care and I want you to win, but it is our actual behavior that demonstrates whether or not we mean it. The trustee standard, bad execution of good intent. None of us likes to have our motives unfairly attributed to our behavior. How do we improve intent? Number one, examine and refine your motives. Why am I feeling unappreciated and undervalued? Because I don't think the people around here see the good work I do. Number two, why do I think they don't see the good work I do? Because they seem to be totally focused on the new blood, the rising stars. What makes me think 
they're focused on the rising stars. The fact that Sarah got promoted last week, and it should have been me. Why do I think Sarah got promoted instead of me? I don't know. Maybe that's what I really want to talk to my boss about. Why do I want to talk to my boss about? Well, I suppose my original intent was to vent and complain about Sarah's promotion, but I guess what I really want to understand is what I can do to add more value to the company so that I will be considered more seriously when future promotions come around. So if you need to refine or evaluate your intent, first make sure you have identified the principles that will bring the results you want. Second, recognize that you may need help to create this deeper inner change and seek it. Third, behave your way into the person you want to be. Behave your way into the person you want to be. Number two, declare your intent. Three, choose abundance. Abundance is not only reality, it is an attractor and generator of even more. The measure of your life will not be in what you accumulate, but in what you give away. Dr. Wayne Dyer. Core number three, capabilities. Are you relevant? Left unattended, knowledge and skill like all assets depreciate in value surprisingly quickly. The main message here for both individuals and organizations is that to remain credible in today's world, we need to constantly improve our capabilities, tasks, talents, attitudes, skills, knowledge, and style. Talents are not our natural gifts and strengths. Attitudes represent our paradigms, our ways of seeing, as well as our ways of being. Skills are our proficiencies, the things we can do well. Knowledge represents our learning, insight, understanding, and awareness. Style represents our unique approach and personality. The Tiger Creed, I improve, therefore I am. Japanese call it Kaizen, or continuous improvement. What if you train everyone and they all leave? What if you don't train them and they all stay? If you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. How to increase your capabilities. The three accelerators that make the greatest difference are the following. Number one, run with your strengths and with your purpose. Peter Drucker encourages leaders to feed opportunities and starve problems. Number two, keep yourself relevant. You really need a 40-year degree. In other words, you need to be engaged in lifelong learning. I'm always learning and working at the margin of my ignorance. Number three, know where you're going. At the end of the day, people follow those who know where they're going. Trust abilities. I would go so far as to say that your technical capabilities are taxed dramatically, sometimes even becoming irrelevant in direct relation to your trust abilities. Core number four, results. What's your track record? There are three key indicators by which people evaluate results. One is the past performance, your track record, your reputation, the things you've done, and the results you've already achieved. Another is current performance, how you are performing today. And the third is anticipated performance, how people think you will perform in the future. We thought that we were selling the transportation of goods. In fact, we were selling peace of mind. Frederick Smith, FedEx. Through results, you can establish trust faster than you think. Through results, you can also restore trust faster than you think. It is results that will convert the cynics. What and how? I define leadership as getting results in a way that inspires trust. I am convinced that with regard to results, the how matters every bit as much as the what. Everyone realized that they were confronting reality, but they were doing it in a principled way that demonstrated care and concern for all. I keep in mind that results can't always be measured in dollars and cents. In fact, to ignore the trust tax or dividend in any analysis is to skew the results. 
The greatest profit may not be in the current transaction, but in the credibility and trust that come from the transaction that paves the way for even greater results in the future. Defining results. In our businesses, relationships, families, and personal lives, there is a wisdom in recognizing the capacity of people to learn from their mistakes and to change. There is also wisdom to learn from their mistakes and to change. There is also wisdom in creating a culture that makes it safe for that to happen. Communicating results. How to improve your results. Number one, take responsibility for results. A real key to success is in taking responsibility for results, not activities. There's another positive dimension to taking responsibility for results. As I've emphasized over and over in this chapter, accomplishing results will build credibility and trust, but simply taking responsibility for results will also build credibility and trust, sometimes even when the results are not good, and sometimes when they were not even your fault. It's no use saying, we are doing our best. You have got to succeed in doing what is necessary. Winston Churchill. Number two, expect to win. The Pygmalion effect, it's also called the Galatea effect, the Rosenthal effect, self-fulfilling prophecy, positive self-expectancy, confidence, optimism, or just plain faith. We tend to get what we expect both from ourselves and from others. When we expect more, we tend to get more. When we expect less, we tend to get less. Confidence consists of positive expectations for favorable outcomes. Winning begets winning because it produces confidence at four levels. The first of those levels, Roster Beth Moss Cantor says, is self-confidence, an emotional climate of high expectations. The second level of confidence in one another. Number three, finish strong. Beginners are many, finishes a few. Beginners are many, finishes a few. Increasingly, it seems we live in a society of victims and quitters. The second wave, relationship trust. The principle of behavior. How to behave yourself out of problems you've behaved yourself into. You can't talk yourself out of a problem you've behaved yourself into. No, but you can behave yourself out of a problem you've behaved yourself into and often faster than you think. People don't listen to you speak. They watch your feet. People don't listen to you speak. They watch your feet. Behavior matters. You can change behavior. The difference between those who change behavior and those who don't is a compelling sense of purpose. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. The 13 behaviors. Behavior number one, talk straight. Tell the truth and leave the right impression. If I were two-faced, would I be wearing this one? Summary. Behavior number one, talk straight. Be honest. Tell the truth. Let people know where you stand. Use simple language. Call things what they are. Demonstrate integrity. Don't manipulate people or distort facts. Don't spin the truth. Don't leave false impressions. Behavior number two, demonstrate respect. Demonstrate caring and concern. Summary, behavior number two, demonstrate respect. Genuinely care for others. Show you care. Respect the dignity of every person and every role. Treat everyone with respect, especially those who can't do anything for you. Show kindness in the little things. Don't fake caring. Don't attempt to be efficient with people. Behavior number three, create transparency. Sunshine is the best disinfectant. Many companies create transparency with their own employees by going to what is known as open book management, opening their financial statements for the entire company to see. Creating transparency also creates buying. Summary behavior number three, create transparency. Tell the truth in a way people can verify. Get real and genuine. 
Be open and authentic. Err on the side of disclosure. Operate on the premise of what you see is what you get. Don't have hidden agendas. Don't hide information. Behavior number four, right wrongs. To know what is right and not to do it is the worst cowardice. Go in the extra mile. Right wrongs is more than simply apologizing. It's also making restitution. It's making up and making whole. Summary behavior number four, right wrongs. Make things right when you're wrong. Apologize quickly. Make restitution where possible. Practice service recoveries. Demonstrate personal humility. Don't cover things up. Don't let pride get in the way of doing the right things. Behavior number five, show loyalty. A leader doesn't need any credit. He's getting more credit than he deserves anyway. Give credit to others. Dottie Grandy makes the point that it is not only important to give credit to people for what they do, but also to acknowledge people for who they are. Speak about others as if they were present. People who talk about others behind their backs often seem to think that it, it will build some kind of camaraderie and trust with those who are there. But the exact opposite is true. When you talk about others behind their backs, it causes those who are present to think you do the same to them when they're not there. Keep in mind that often loyalty to principles is the best way to demonstrate loyalty to people. Summary behavior number five, show loyalty. Give credit freely. Acknowledge the contributions of others. Speak about people as if they were present. Represent others who aren't there to speak for themselves. Don't badmouth others behind their backs. Don't disclose others' private information. Behavior number six, deliver results. The counterfeit is delivering activities instead of results. I finally learned to look for people who were short on talk and long on delivery. The impact on trust accounts deliver results is how you convert the cynics. Clarify results up front. Summary behavior number six, deliver results. Establish a track record of results. Get the right things done. Make things happen. Accomplish what you're hired to do. Be on time and within budget. Don't overpromise and underdeliver. Don't make excuses for not delivering. Behavior number seven, get better. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Get better builds trust. Kaizen, Japanese for continuous improvement. The opposite of get better is entropy, deterioration, resting on your laurels, or becoming irrelevant. Get better has two common counterfeits. The first is represented by the internal student, the person who is always learning but never producing. The second is represented by author Frank Herbert's observation. The people I distrust most are those who want to improve our lives but have only one course of action. It's trying to force fit everything into whatever you're good at doing. It's the manifestation of the psychologist Abraham Maslow's thought, he that is good with a hammer tends to think everything is a nail. Constant renovation is the central necessity at GE. We're all just a moment away from the commodity hell. What differentiates the best from the good? Companies is not whether they ask the questions, it's how they respond to the answers. Summary behavior number seven, get better. Continuously improve, increase your capabilities, be a constant learner. Develop feedback systems, both formal and informal. Act on feedback you receive. Thank people for feedback. Don't consider yourself above feedback. Don't assume today's knowledge and skills will be sufficient for tomorrow's challenges. Behavior number eight, confront reality. It's about taking the tough issues head on. It's about sharing the bad news as well as the good, naming the elephant in the room addressing the scarecrows, and discussing the undiscussables. 
The opposite of confront reality is to ignore it, to act as though it doesn't exist. It's burying your head in the sand, thinking that maybe it will go away, or that it's not really there after all. The counterfeit is to act as though you're confronting reality when you're actually evading it. It's focusing on busy work while skirting the real issues. One of the problems with both the opposite and the counterfeit is that whenever you fail to deal with the real issues for any reason, people tend to see you in one or two ways. They see you as lacking in character. You're not being open or honest. You're not being transparent, not talking straight, or lacking in competence. You're clueless, naive, incompetent. You don't even know what the real issues are. Either way, it doesn't inspire trust. Summary behavior number eight, confront reality. Take issues head on, even the undiscussables. Address the tough stuff directly. Acknowledge the unsaid. Lead out courageously in conversation. Remove the sword from their hands. Don't skirt the real issues. Don't bury your head in the sand. Behavior number nine, clarify expectations. Expectations and trust. I call it the behavior of prevention because if you focus on this one up front, you will avoid heartaches and headaches later on. It's wise to look at the three variables, quality, speed, and cost. Quality, speed, and cost. It's almost always a choice. To get two, you have to give up one. Summary behavior number nine, clarify expectations. Disclose and reveal expectations. Discuss them. Validate them. Renegotiate them if needed and if possible. Don't violate expectations. Don't assume that expectations are clear or shared. Behavior number 10, practice accountability. There are two key dimensions to this practice accountability. The first is to hold yourself accountable. The second is to hold others accountable. Leaders who generate trust do both. A good leader takes more than their fair share of blame and gives more than their share of the credit. One reason why taking responsibility and holding ourselves accountable is challenging is that we live in an increasingly victimized society. Summary, behavior number 10, practice accountability. Hold yourself accountable. Hold others accountable. Take responsibility for results. Be clear on how you communicate, how you're doing, and how others are doing. Don't avoid or shrink responsibility. Don't blame others or point fingers when things go wrong. Behavior number 11, listen first. When was the last time you heard someone criticized for listening too much? Leadership has less to do with walking in front and leading the way than it does to listening to the needs of people of the company and meeting them. I found that the two best qualities a CEO can have are the ability to listen and to assume the best motives in others. Summary behavior number 11, listen first. Listen before you speak. Listen before you speak. Understand, diagnose. Listen with your ears and your eyes and your heart. Find out what the most important behaviors are to the people you're working with. Don't assume you know what matters most to others. Don't presume you have all the answers or all the questions. Behavior number 12, keep commitments. When you make a commitment, you build hope. The 10-year rule. 10 years from now, what will I be glad I did? What will I be glad I did? Summary behavior number 12, keep commitments. Say what you're going to do, then do what you say you're going to do. Make commitments carefully and keep them. Make keeping commitments the symbol of your honor. Don't break confidences. Don't attempt to PR your way out of a commitment you've broken. Behavior number 13, extend trust. Trust men and they will be true to you. Treat them greatly and they will show themselves great. Behavior number 13, extend trust. Trust men and they will be true to you. Treat them greatly and they will show themselves great. 
Behavior number 13, extend trust, is different in the kind from the rest of the behaviors. It's about shifting from trust as a noun to a trust as a verb, while the other behaviors help you become a more trusted person or manager. This behavior will help you become a more trusting leader. Not only does it build trust, it leverages trust. It creates reciprocity. When you trust people, other people tend to trust you in return. Additionally and ironically, extending trust is one of the best ways to create trust when it's not there. You don't want to tr extend trust indiscriminately or unwisely. You'll get taken to the cleaners. You'll get burned. But neither do you want to withhold trust when extending it could be such an enormous benefits. What happens when you extend trust? Extend trust is based on the principles of empowerment, reciprocity, and a fundamental belief that most people are capable of being trusted, want to be trusted, and will run with trust when it's extended to them. We treat our people the way we want them to treat the customers. A lot of the procedures in many organizations were designed to catch the 3% who were trying to cheat in one way or another. We decided to design our rules for the 97% we can trust. I'll be letting the few define the many. The counterfeit of extended trust takes two forms. The first is extending false trust. It's giving people the responsibility, but not the authority or resources to get a task done. The second is extending fake trust, acting like you trust someone when you really don't. In other words, you entrust someone with a job, but at the end of the day, you supervise, hover over or big brother the person, or perhaps even do his job for him. A powerful motivator. There is nothing that motivates or inspires people like having trust extended to them. When it is, people don't need to be managed or supervised. They manage themselves. By extending trust, you empower people. You leverage your leadership. You create a high trust culture that brings out the best in people, creates high level synergy, and maximizes the ability of any organization, whether it be a business, a school, an NPO, or a family to accomplish what it sets out to do. Summary behavior number 13, extend trust. Demonstrate a propensity to trust. Extend trust abundantly to those who have earned your trust. Extend trust conditionally to those who are earning your trust. Learn how to appropriately extend trust to others based on the situation, risk, and credibility, character and competence of the people involved. But have a propensity to trust. Don't withhold trust because there is risk involved. Creating an action plan. The quickest way to make a withdrawal is to violate a behavior of character. The quickest way to make a deposit is to demonstrate a behavior of competence. The third, fourth, and fifth waves, stakeholder trust. How to increase speed, lower cost, and maximize the influence of your organization. The third wave, organizational trust, the principles of alignment. All organizations are perfectly aligned to get the results they want. Truly, symbols are powerful. They carry disproportionate value. They always override rhetoric. They communicate paradigms far more clearly than words, and they do so with geometric influence. The seven low trust organizational taxes. Number one, redundancy. A redundancy tax is paid in excessive organizational hierarchy, layers of management, and overlapping structures all designed to ensure control. For the most part, it grows out of the paradigm that unless people are tightly supervised, they can't be trusted, and it's very costly. Number two, bureaucracy. Low trust breeds bureaucracy, and bureaucracy breeds low trust. In low trust organizations, bureaucracy is everywhere. Number three, politics. In many ways, Number four, disengagement. 
Disengagement is what happens when people continue to work at a company but have effectively quit, commonly referred to as quit and stay. They put in what effort they must to get their paycheck and not get fined, but they're not giving their talent, creativity, energy, or passion. Number five is turnover. I'm not talking about the desirable turnover of non-performers, but the undesirable turnover of performers. On average, it costs companies one and a half to two times the annual salary to replace an exiting worker. Number six is churn. Churn is the turnover of stakeholders other than employees. My sister told me about a restaurant she went to recently where she asked the waiter, what do you recommended from the menu? The waiter's response, I recommend going to another restaurant. Employees tend to treat customers the way they're treated by management. Number seven, fraud. The seven high trust organizational dividends. Number one, increased value. Number two, accelerated growth. Three, enhanced innovation. Four, improved collaboration. Different than the traditional approaches of coordination and cooperation, real collaboration creates the key opportunity model of today's world. Number five, stronger partnering. Number six, better execution. It is better to have grade B strategy and grade A execution than the other way around. Number seven, heighten loyalty. Nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. Nothing is as profitable as the economics of trust. Nothing is as relevant as the persuasive impact of trust. The ability to establish, grow, extend, and restore trust truly is the key leadership competency of the new global economy. Families are organizations too. The fourth wave, market trust, the principle of reputation. In the end, all you have is your reputation, Oprah Winfrey. Market trust is all about brand or reputation. How to build your brand. I strongly contend that if your organization, however you define it, strengthens its four cores and demonstrates the 13 behaviors with its stakeholders, you will be able to measurably increase the value of your organization's brand. Whatever trust we are capable to create in our organizations and in the marketplace is a result of the credibility we first create in ourselves. The fifth way, societal trust. The principles of contribution. Executives tempted to take shortcuts should remember the dictum of Confucius that good government needs weapons, food, and trust. If the ruler cannot hold on to all three, he should give up the weapons first and food next. Trust should be guarded to the end because without trust, we cannot stand. Every kind of peaceful cooperation among men is primarily based on mutual trust and only secondarily on institutions such as courts of justice and police. Global citizenship and individual choice. It's you and me making the conscious decision to value and invest in the well-being of others. Inspiring trust. In this final section, I want to show you that whatever your situation, you can learn how to extend smart trust. You can develop the competence to extend trust in ways that avoid the pitfalls and ensure the greatest dividends for all concerned. You can also learn how to restore trust when it has been lost and how to develop the propensity to trust that is absolutely vital to effective leadership in life. How to extend smart trust. Restore faith and trust the exponential leap of faith that makes all the difference. And why not extending trust is the greatest risk of all. Extending smart trust. The smart trust matrix. Civility has two parts. Generosity when it is costly and trust even when there is risk. The objective then is not to avoid risk in the first place. You can't. And in the second place, you wouldn't want to because risk taking is an essential part of life. 
Propensity to trust is primarily a matter of the heart. It's the tendency, inclination, or predisposition to believe that people are worthy of trust and a desire to extend it to them freely. Smart Trust Matrix. Looking at the four zones of trust, number one in the top left, we have gullibility. High propensity, low analysis. Number two, judgment. High propensity, high analysis. Number three, indecision. Low propensity, low analysis. And number four, suspicion. Low propensity, high analysis. What is the opportunity, the situation or task at hand? What is the risk involved? What are the possible outcomes? What is the likelihood of the outcomes? What is the importance and visibility of the outcomes? What is the credibility, character competence of the people involved? Restoring trust when it is being lost. One of the greatest obstacles to building and restoring trust is the superficial two-dimensional paradigm that the ideal life is challenge-free. It's not. We're going to have challenges. We're going to make mistakes. And others are going to make mistakes that affect us. That's life. The issue is how we respond to those things, whether or not we choose to prioritize the enormous long-term dividends of trust over whatever temporary satisfaction we may get from doing things that break trust, trying to justify low trust behavior, holding grudges, or failing to forgive. As in almost every other aspect of life, breakdowns can create breakthroughs. Breakdowns can create breakthroughs. When others have lost your trust, don't be too quick to judge. Do be quick to forgive. Keep in mind that we garner strength to forgive those who have wronged us not by what they do, but by what we do. And we don't forgive to abdicate the offender. As Mandela modeled, we forgive to bring clarity and peace to ourselves. He that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he too must pass. A propensity to trust. When Moore's cultural values are sufficient, laws are necessary. When mores are insufficient, laws are unenforceable. When the fever was at its worst, Philip said he hoped to save the king by means of a strong medicine which he was going to prepare. Just after Philip went out to brew his this potion, Alexander received a letter which warned him to beware of his physician, as the man who had been bribed by the Persian king, Doris number 3, to poison him. After reading the letter, Alexander slipped it under his pillow and calmly waited for his return of his doctor. When Philip brought the cup containing the promised remedy, Alexander took it in one hand and gave him the letter with the other. Then while Philip was reading it, he drank every drop of the medicine. When the physician saw the accusation, he turned deadly pale. He looked up at his master, who smilingly handed back the empty cup. Alexander's great trust in his doctor was fully justified, for the medicine cured him and he was soon able to go on. Better trust all and be deceived, and weep that trust and that deceiving, than doubt one heart that, if believed, had blessed one's life with true believing. In everyone's life at some point, our inner fire goes out. It is then burst into flame by an encounter with another human being. We should all be thankful for those people who rekindle the inner spirit. And that's a wrap on the book summary of The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey. Check out our YouTube channel, Best Book Bits, with over 400 video book summaries uploaded previously and a lot more to come. If you're into the written summary, check out our website, bestbookbits.com, where you can download the written PDF version to read offline in categories from biographies, business and marketing, habits, health, leadership, money, personal development, philosophy, psychology, real estate, relationships, sales, spirituality, success, 
and time management. If you're into the audio podcast version, check out mixcloud.com forward slash best book bits, where you'll find over 400 book summaries to listen to at your pleasure. And last, our Instagram page at best book bits for daily motivational quotes and book summaries uploaded. Thanks for watching and listening. Have yourself an amazing day. Take care and go out there and trust.